Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week the random movie we watched at midnight was Robert Zemeckis's Contact. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke? Nash, dude, would you rather watch one of those, like, daytime TV shows about finding aliens that actually only has, like, 10 minutes of content they recycle for 25 episodes, or would you rather watch Contact? Contact, easy, very easily. <laughs> oh, you yeah. mean you, you, you don't like listening to unqualified people tell you a bunch of horror stories about aliens? Yeah, no, it's not as interesting, really. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, so um, I was looking up some Matthew McConaughey movies just because I wasn't really sure where he started his career. Obviously, everybody knows the all right, all right, all right classic, but um, I was kind of wondering what other movies Matthew McConaughey did that were considered really renowned, and I heard about this movie just as being an interesting alien movie, which it 100% was. So, who we got starring in um, Contact, we got Jodie Foster playing Eleanor Arroway, and might I say, Jodie Foster does a phenomenal job getting patronized by all the <laughs> in this movie, too, <laughs> starting with David <laughs> Drumline, that guy is a piece of shit, bro, I fucking hate that guy, I just swore so much just to prove how much I hate him. And then, dude, if you thought, if you thought that Dracula's a boy, just wait till you meet Matthew McConaughey, dude. <laughs> that's pretty funny uh he's playing palmer jones who is um a, i don't is he an author is he a preacher we'll talk we'll, 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 well talk you know about he's that. yeah it's yeah yeah we got we got Will, william fitcher playing kent the blind guy some would call him a poor man's kevin bacon and then we have uh, David Morse playing Ted, Ted Arroway, her father. You might remember David Morse as um, the phenomenal bad guy in 16 Blocks. What a nuanced performance in that movie. <laughs> oh, and it's starring, and it's starring Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton is in it. Oh my gosh, yeah, they CGI'd him in it so much. Yeah, and then um, I don't. I I yelled a lot about David Drumline. That's also not his name. Uh, but he's played by by Tom Tom Skerritt, who um. Yeah, just uh, uh, that guy. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm swearing so much. I'll bleep all of it out with something funny. Um, and then we got directing this movie. Um, you know, you ever seen Back to the Future? Yeah. You ever seen Forrest Gump? Yeah. You ever seen Flight with Denzel Washington? No, I haven't. Uh, it's a movie where he's hammered all the time and flies planes. You ever seen? Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> you ever yeah. seen uh, the Polar Express? Did you have a childhood? Oh my gosh, that's a classic. Did you have a childhood? Yeah, I did. That was a great movie. So yeah, those 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 are all like relatively well known movies. Back to the Future, maybe possibly one of the greatest films of all time. But on top of all that, this man is responsible for the animated Beowulf version of the two thousand seven movie. So there's some given, there's some take. <laughs> this director. Um, but the world of contact, we're beginning the story in the mid 80s. Eleanor Arroway. Oh gosh, yeah, there are gonna be some time skips. Eleanor Arroway has dedicated her life to science, more specifically the exploration of life on other planets and within the universe. This endeavor is of course not taken seriously by the majority of her colleagues due to the stigma around her just searching for little green men. So although Eleanor hopes for contacting an alien life form never dwindles, the funding that she has to find them certainly does. <laughs> Just as the clock starts to run out of these scientific endeavors, an extremely intelligent signal gets received by Eleanor and her team. 
Immediately telling the scientific community about this amazing discovery, Eleanor is soon confronted by the government as well as other forces trying to control the way that this valuable information is used. Before Eleanor knows it, a lot of weight is riding upon her discovery and the implications it could have for mankind. You like that world description? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Thank you, thank you. I think it's really a story just about uh, one person finding something and everybody else trying to control what they found. Yeah, no, that's, a very, that's a very astute observation on it. Um, I wish that the trailer was as good as the world description. <laughs> because the only trailer we could find, because we use IMDB for all of our trailers, so we keep it kind of consistent, and the only one that I found was essentially a DVD trailer, and it was just like 30 seconds of very fast talking and like three clips in the movie. It's like, eh, this is a bad trailer. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a problem, take it up with IMDB, because I only have two trailers, and it's for the DVDs for this. I'll buy it on Blu-ray. I know you will. And so, <laughs> let's get on to these motifs and themes, Luke. Um, I think the most obvious theme and motif that I found in this movie was the difference between science and faith. And that is a motif that a lot of people could roll their eyes at, but I think this movie does a truly phenomenal job weaving between the two ideas and causing almost all of the characters to really confront the difference of science and faith in their own lives. And I think that is something to specifically point out because I don't think every movie is able to capture the motifs that I found so well throughout a story and throughout the characters. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty accurate because it does seem kind of lazily done in the beginning of the movie, but once you get toward the climaxes of it, I think it really kind of brings it all back together in a very nice package. It doesn't seem forced or rushed. It, it seems kind of like this is how it should have concluded. Yeah. So, moving right along, are we going to give this movie a thumbs up or a thumbs down, Luke? Thumbs up, dude. I was extremely, extremely happy watching this movie. Yeah, no, I'd give it a thumbs up as well. It was a really interesting narrative. Acting was pretty good the story was definitely interesting and unique um realistic too it felt like this is how yeah. it would actually go down if this happened i like i like the characters i like the development um so yeah that being said go see the movie now that we've given you a taste of this movie we don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it yet so if you haven't already like and subscribe to our channel and pause this video so you can check this movie out for yourself <sighs> So, you want to talk about faith and science, do you? <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's start with aliens, bro. All right, so uh, science fiction, aliens, uh, stuff that is dealt with a lot, quite a lot. Yeah. But how many different interpretations do we have? Let's see. We have the movie Arrival. Um, we have Alien. We have um, that other movie... Um, with like the the mirror man at the end that's not a rival that's a different movie isn't it annihilation annihilation that, that's kind of an alien movie anyway one of the points i'm trying to make is that alien movies are not necessarily unique but i almost feel like every alien story is kind of told in a unique way you know even if you look at war of the worlds like that's another just interesting alien story and so kind of i feel like we should start the contact conversation just on the way that contact stands out as being an alien movie because this isn't they live you know 
aliens aren't living among us yeah. and controlling our entire lives, and it's not alien. There isn't a giant monster stalking a small group of people. Instead, the scope of the implications of finding life on other planets seems to kind of be in the spotlight on this one. Yeah, no. Oh, definitely. It's entirely about the scope of actually the, the literal discovery of them. And sort of how, like, how they discover them, people are kind of baffled by it. Like, if you remember, they're like, we've pointed the satellite there before and nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why why now? Yeah. Why is it this time? And I think that is pretty interesting, too. Like, why specifically this time right now? Are they just waiting for the right moment? Well, I also enjoyed the first opening scene where it keeps zooming out and space just keeps getting more vast and more vast. And um, they, they, they make the point before you learn that like um, they just heard those radio television signals and sent them back to us. When you um, learn about that, it makes the opening even cooler because you can kind of see how pop culture moves back in time as we float further away from space. And in my opinion, one of the trippiest parts about Space Bro is that you're essentially looking back in time when you see the light of a star. So I think, I, I, I thought like that, as a premise itself was extremely interesting that the signal we got back was just a signal that we sent, but it was the first signal ever strong enough to go out that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get you. Get that weird Hitler montage thing going on. Yeah, there's a lot of neo-Nazis in this movie. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, man, like, so it, it could have been an alien movie based upon the fact that the aliens just want to murder mankind, but instead, I felt like it was really used in a way to exemplify the usage of faith and science. And I feel like the difference between faith and science is embodied within Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster. And, you know, I'm a huge Matthew McConaughey fan, but I, I did shit on him in the, in the beginning of the review, calling him boy because he totally is, bro. And I'm not really sure if I liked his character in this movie overall. And I also kind of felt like the dialogue between McConaughey and Jodie Foster was a little clunky at times. I felt like their kind of love romance plot didn't really stick for me, essentially. And so I was kind of torn between loving Matthew McConaughey for making great points about believing in something bigger than yourself. But at the same time, it felt like he was kind of just slowing down the plot and giving me a lot of reasons to not like him. Do you, do you, how do you feel about that? No, I think I totally agree. It feels like one of those classic like slapstick. <clears throat> we need to have a love plot in here, so put it in. Yeah. Except like the gender roles were reversed as to what we're typically used to. And it's kind of like, because um, I know we said this before, and I feel like people may have an issue with us saying that, but it's it's like it doesn't. It feels incredibly disingenuous to watch it because like we see their relationship like start before all of this happens you know when they're just like normal when he's just like a reporter and she's just like a scientist mm-hmm. they kind of you know they kind of like get with each other mm-hmm. and then when their relationship really like becomes a thing is after she's incredibly famous and so like it's kind of hard to separate that in your mind as an audience member just because you're seeing both of those characters a ton so you have sort of equal weight for them once they become famous like you don't see them any differently from when they weren't famous you know yeah but it's important to note that so that kind of detracts from like the romance that we're supposed to believe it's kind of like well it's hard to believe that he would actually like somebody because he only said so after she became internationally famous 
and it's just like I, I kind of feel like again, this is just a forced love plot that I don't I don't necessarily need. The only thing that we really need is Matthew McConaughey's character there to say the philosophical things that he says. Well, dude, I think I think in the, in the intro, like five minutes ago, you said that you weren't a huge fan of Matthew McConaughey in the beginning. Is is that what you said? Like you were like you you weren't a huge fan of his character right when the movie started. It took a little bit for him to grow on you. Oh no, I was fine with his character. I didn't like that love plot that they developed. Yeah, well, the 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 first scene you see it, I thought was when it was kind of the most cheesy, just because like they had the big moment when they kissed. That was one of the grossest makeout sessions I've seen on camera. By the way, I don't know what it was, but just <laughs> when they were shoving their faces together was gnarly for me. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, like that was when he was first introduced, and so I kind of got the feeling it was going to be one of those Matthew McConaughey type uh, type roles, but. Again, dude, like, he really just embodies the idea of believing in something bigger than you. And I think the movie used God and faith because it's a relatively relatable and easy way to kind of get the point across of believing in something better than you. Not better, bigger than you. And yeah. um, kind of just... I'm, I think I am head over heels for this movie because of the way that everything came together at the end. And it's not super easy for me to explain that right now. I think I have to start dissecting it with you because this movie is so long and took a while to get there. And once it got there, the implications of what was actually happening were pretty crazy to me. The, like That final scene when Jodie Foster is, is like te tearing up and just talking about how she wishes that people could have the same experience she did... Like, talk about a character change from the beginning of the movie. Even last time when she was going to get picked to go through the thing, Matthew McConaughey asked her, do you believe in God? And she has to be honest with the people. And then she's looked at as a lesser person because of what she believes in. So, like... I think yeah. I think that's kind of that's kind of the base I want to create for the nuance of this movie is that it's really asking a question not specifically about God and religion, but just the idea of looking up into the stars and telling yourself that, like, there's got to be something bigger than us. Right. And so to kind of talk about the ending right now, even though I don't want to get super into it. Once we get to the other planet of these people, they are represented in an extremely godlike way. Um, they're like, we yeah. we took on this form because we thought it would be easier for you. Yeah, taking on the form of her dead dad was a great idea, guys. That wouldn't be yeah. triggering at all. <laughs> Sounds super heavy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> do you want? Do you kind kind of want to take it? Because I think you know where I'm going. But like, the 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 nuance of the movie isn't lost in that. Like, well, they're just trying to science is good people like now nah, there's definitely a lot more nuance in what's happening than yeah. just being straightforward <clears throat> about it you know <clears throat> no exactly because not only before we get there we also see how sort of like the human desire to sort of interfere oh my god also this movie made there. me hate mankind dude it made me hate yeah. mankind the guy that blows up the first space or the first teleporter thing whatever it's called oh, the, the, the religious guy yeah, they have the crazy white hair. He was an he's albino. A, he's the like. he's the bad guy in Frighteners, bro. Cool. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but um, so we even see like sort of uh the human element a lot here too. 
And I like how it is important to mention, um, like you said, that it isn't clear cut, like, oh, science is good. Yeah, it's all we need. Matthew McConaughey's character is kind of the embodiment of like, yeah, science isn't necessarily good. It makes things easier, but does it really make things better? Which was a phenomenal motif to start the movie on, because I really felt that was exemplified in the first hour, was the question that he literally asks. You literally see it come from his mouth. I'm not saying that science isn't good. I'm just asking if our lives are inherently better because of it. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate question for any person to ask. Yeah, no, it's certainly something that you take a lot of time to evaluate, and it's kind of hard to know the answer that's sort of really what the whole movie kind of drives to it so after you get past the human error you also see sort of the human brilliance whereas we built another teleporter um and i guess we can get into that rich guy was it hubs i thought i thought he was really interesting but at the same time i thought he was a bit of a cop-out in the script you feel me on that i kind of felt like he was a bit of an ex machina character that was like no there's no way else that this stuff could get funded or actually happen unless we have this wicked rich guy what i also found really interesting was that they said that he almost never lands he's always flying above the sky like he himself is a bit of an alien and extraterrestrial yeah, no, that was pretty interesting, too. And I, I I, think you're right on that, that he does kind of feel like a sloppy ex machina device where he just he always seems to come in right where you need him to. Yeah. Uh, to progress the plot a little bit more. Although I say I think the first time we meet him, he really I don't think he serves that purpose just because like, what's the point of not being able to put the pieces of paper together? Um, you mean like what's the what's the point of not being able to decipher the message? Yeah, like like you know, like there's no real point. You didn't. You don't need somebody to come in and say, "Hey, this it's a three dimensional puzzle." It's not. Yeah, a yeah. Like, they, you don't they, really. They, they could have easily had a scene of Jodie Foster figuring out herself. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he he wants to be, he his character plays a bigger role, I guess, at the end of it when he's more of like evidence against her. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think that's kind of his sort of goal too, is because he also creates doubt in that, but, uh, I guess you wanted to get to the actual event of the teleportation into the other world. Well, just, well, well, the fact that there's two devices built exactly the same, I thought was a little questionable just because I felt like in terms of him being that ex machina character, like we watched the whole scene where David Drumline gets what's coming to him, which was definitely a great moment because I wanted that dude to die. I really hated that guy like dead ass, bro. (laughs) But, you know, I almost felt like that was a half hour of the movie that was almost wasted because it was like, oh my God, we're going to send him, we're going to send him, and then the big explosion happens, and then it's literally like 10 minutes later in the plot, if I'm not mistaken. The dude's like, oh yeah, rich rich billionaire is going to fund it, we're going to do it correct this time. So it kind of was just like this movie's two and a half hours so clearly if you wanted to really go in and cut it out you could probably cut down some scenes so i kind of was just like questioning how you felt in the plot for how natural it was that there was just this eccentric billionaire guy who lives above the world and he seems like a mythical creature himself just kind of funding everything yeah i mean well i don't i don't get the feeling that he was funding everything per se yeah I just get, like, his scope of understanding and intellect 
is kind of absurd. It's like nowadays it'd be impossible to build a second one of those because of Google Images, you know, <laughs> or Google Maps. Like it'd just be impossible to hide that from people. And so back then, I think it's something more believable. And it does. They do say that he's like a power broker, so it's like I guess that type of person. That's the kind of thing that they would know if they're building a giant teleporter somewhere. Um, but I, it does feel kind of out there in the movie. That seems to be it's like kind of really based in like realism, you know? Yeah. Like it's based in an actual world, the world that we're living in. Like it's not show the most absurd thing you see is the actual teleport part, you know, in the whole movie. Yeah, everything leading up to that feels extremely like like that's how it would go on. Like if the government yeah. found out about something like that, I could totally see just one one dude whose job is national security. I just did air quotes. You can't see me, but I did air quotes. <laughs> just like <laughs> just being a dick, dude. Like 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 the last scene in the movie. He was just really exemplifying how ignorant he, the human race appears to be, bro. Just the arrogance of how could they send you back with no proof? What are they insane for not sending back any proof? And it's like, dude, that's not the point. And I just I think it speaks to mankind as a whole as having that force that just wants to shut down the kind of imagination that comes along with a unique signal coming from the sky. Yeah. Yeah, and it really does question that. And I, I honestly think like the only two things that are going to make you doubt the movies is literally that character, the rich guy. I think it's like Hubs. What's his name? It was it was Hubs. I'm pretty sure it was Hubs. Hubs. Yeah, it's Hubs and the actual teleporter event. Like those are the most unbelievable things in the whole movie. So it's like I think they could have dialed it back a little bit on him and it would have been fine. Yeah. I don't know why they needed to be too extreme. Um but Going into that, do you want to talk about the teleporter event? Yeah, bro. So, um, there's there's so much in this movie. You know, there's so much in, in in of this movie. And by the time that you get to the teleporter at the end, it really feels like we've gone through this journey with Jodie oh, yeah. Foster. Even though there's so many time skips and whatnot, I know we're we're trying to get to the teleporter, but quickly, do, we talk about the usage of time a lot on, on this podcast because I think it's something that interests me a lot is the care that you take into putting time in your in your screenplay or your story like i feel like the the usage of time is something that isn't considered a ton just in storytelling in general a, cu um, a couple weeks ago on gallipoli we made the joke about like game of thrones and travel and time oh, and all yeah. that stuff this movie uses time skips a ton but it really kind of feels like they're using the time skips in a way that is just like yo it would realistically take two years to build another reactor let's just time skip to it yo she got all the funding we have to give her a pretty reasonable amount of time to fail before something would just magically come in let's skip ahead four years like did you feel like <clears throat> at any point it felt disembodied from the plot and how much time was really passing because like honestly by the end it kind of feels like the movie ended in like the year 2000 and we started in like 85 <laughs> yeah no exactly i think <clears throat> i think the movie would not have suffered in any way if they just didn't have those time cards. You really think so? If you didn't have a single one, I don't think I would feel any differently about it. I, you know, I don't think I would have questioned 
how much time yeah. is really going by either you know like and that like my and my whole thing is when movies just want to be like yo five years in the future and i think about what it's like to wake up every day and just live your life and how much time passes in five years bro like i've known you for five years six years ago you, we straight up weren't a part of each other's lives because we didn't meet each other so like our entire yeah. our entire time knowing each other is the essentially the span of time that jody foster was like <laughs> doing this research yeah. with with no one you know like when you put it into perspective like that in your own life for me it's just like oh five years passed okay well dude a ton had to have happened in those five years like yeah it's really not a single significant moment for me there's a really awkward mental block every time i read that's like five years like what mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. why but every time i read a title card like that it just kind of throws me off a little bit like i, I don't need to see one you know yeah it's kind of like in star wars i think it's the best example because if you go back and look at like uh the original trilogy they don't use a single time card in fact the whole one the whole one that sets the like setting up the movie is a long time ago in a galaxy far far away yeah. yeah they're not even that specific so it's like you don't need to give the audience a specific number because that number is irrelevant. Nobody yeah. cares. We just, you just need to convey the fact that time has passed. Yeah. Well, That's bro, all if, you if, have to do, if they put a card that was said one year later and four years later, it's completely, completely the same to me. A, a year yeah. difference in four years later doesn't make a difference to me as an audience member watching it. Yeah. And it's, it really kind of takes you out of the film. Cause it's like, believe this it, rather than just being like, cutting to after a fade and so i just going man that was crazy a while ago yeah <laughs> yeah those yeah, were yeah. wild times back then yeah <laughs> yeah so i, I felt just, it, i felt like it wasn't used in an extremely detrimental way but at the same yeah. time it's just one of those things that like overall when i'm watching movies it's something that i don't always love and this movie wasn't like oh dang they were they they were doing it hardcore bro but um, it definitely adds up it definitely adds up it's it kind of like yeah. It's kind of like two in The Shining. Like that's a, another one for that's a great comparison, just because that movie has time cards, like every twenty minutes in it. But the time cards, they build the suspense so much in that, and like that's the whole point. Is and like, they're also going from like Monday to Tuesday, not yeah, not freaking nineteen eighty four, nineteen ninety five. Yeah, because time is incredibly relevant in that one. It's like you need to understand how long they've been there, and honestly, you forget because of how crazy the scenes are. So the time cards play a perfect role in the movie. Whereas this one, it's just kind of like, all right, we need everybody to understand time has passed. Let's just put a card up. Yeah, man. And you know, I think this is, this movie exemplifies character change so well, specifically in Jodie Foster and the um, journey that she goes on that in a certain way, it does kind of feel like her change didn't feel extremely natural because so much time was passing between all of these events, you know what I mean? Like, for example, we figure out she's not going to go on the first mission, and um, David Drumline is going to. And is it Drumline like, or Drumlin? It's Drumlin. I'm saying Drumline to make fun of the guy because I really just haven't hated a character like that in a while, bro. But <laughs> Dave, when, when when that happens, from what I remember, David Drumline. She pretty much figures out that 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 he's going to go and then like the next cut or something is with the machine already built on the day that they're going to send it, you know? So like I didn't really feel like I specifically saw Jodie Foster's character 
mull over the fact that she wasn't going um, yeah. for a long time. And then once the accident happens right away, she's like sent back into another opportunity to do her lifelong dream. So like not um, we're, we're, go- we're definitely getting a little negative right now in what we're talking about. But I for a movie that's so good in so many other factors, I felt like this is one of the factors that could take away from it in that like it didn't feel extremely flawless, even though it was definitely not super flawed. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah, well, no, I think that, you know, seeing her actually lose out and uh, sort of that whole engagement with, like, the committee where she says she doesn't believe in God, it's like those events, watching her react to it, I think that's, like, incredible character development to see her, like, sort of, it sort of reels her back into it, you know, because up until then we see her very um almost pushy about her presence in the project because we see drumlin constantly trying to take over her own work and so i think when we get to that climax of he's in it we're just kind of like yeah this guy's a dick that yeah that's we totally understand that we understand that with her but at the end of the day she's more concerned with the actual mission than she is that and so that's you know, like, that's that's what I think I liked about her character the most was that she really was undyingly married to the fact that she was going to be the person who went out there because she got the thing. And like that scene with with McConaughey when they're in the park, dude, like that was a pretty great conversation when he was like, why are you willing to die for this? And she was like, I think it's worth a life. I think answering a few questions for the rest of mankind is worth my life. And that's a really noble thing to say. Came off extremely natural. Like, I think Jodie Foster really did a phenomenal job embodying the character of the extremely dedicated scientist who just kept getting kicked down but never gave up, bro. Like, that, like, those, those, (laughs) I know, I I, I just went hard. But, like, those (laughs) motifs and character-driven things are what makes the movie really great. And so I kind of wanted to harp on like the time factors and stuff because that can also take away from it. So I know we were going to talk about the teleportation at the end. We got on a hardcore tangent, but one more tangent before we really get into the cool stuff is I wanted to bring up the diegetic sound again, because ever since we did the lighthouse, we've been really liking the idea of diegetic sound and bro, I don't know about you, but when they first hear the signal from the aliens, I kind of got a little um, goosebumps a little bit. Like, the the messages felt sinister to me. Like, when whenever they were dealing with talking to the aliens before they truly understood it, like, I kind of was under the impression that maybe everything wasn't as it seems. And then as the, I forget what his character's name is, but the government guy who's just been shooting her down the whole time, is like, well, how do you know it's not going to blow us up? In a way, my kind of caveman, salamander, human brain was agreeing with him a little bit, and I was like, you know, this does seem a little sketchy. Those sounds did sound a little freaky. You, yeah. You, you know what I mean? So, like, the way that, like, they first hear the sound and then the way that it's pumped in throughout the background of the room and overall, like, at any point, did you kind of get the feeling that the aliens might have actually been up to something sinister? Or is that just me? No, I think that's fair. It definitely feels ominous. When they're at that uh, meeting with all, like, those government officials... Yeah, and I Rob Lowe. That, Rob Lowe snuck into this movie, dude. Yeah, Rob Lowe snuck into this movie with one of the worst accents I've ever heard in my life. Um, <laughs> dude, it, it, it was like he, he's, he's been chain-smoking cigarettes for the past two weeks just so he could get away with that. Yeah. And um, I think that the conversation that they have at that sort of committee thing <coughs> that 
board of experts or whatever. Yeah. It really is some incredible dialogue there because it is very philosophical. And it, it's like a lot of ideas that I know either I would have or people that I've talked to would have all coming together in a place where I don't think they ever have before. Yeah. And it's just like, um, I really liked what she said. It's like, it's insignificant. Like we're insignificant to them. We're like, um, an anthill in like Mozambique or something. I forget yeah. the exact place. She yep, says. Yep. And then the guy's like, yeah, well, how bad would you feel about destroying an anthill in Mozambique? It's like, oh, that is a really good point. That was a good, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good banter, dude. Solid, solid comeback. That really, really makes you think, bro. You know? Yeah, exactly. And this really is what the whole movie is all about is not really. I don't think it's about questioning your faith. I think it's about how much you accept your faith. Because we all have certain degrees that we accept the things around us. And it's sort of slowly gets brought up. Seeing is see. Sorry. Seeing is believing in a way. Right. That's the point you're making. Sort of. It's like, how much do you rely entirely on that? Because like Matthew McConaughey's character, I feel like his entire purpose is to get that sort of question spinning in our head. You know, like, how much do we actually believe? What are the actual motivations and goals of people? Because it's like not only thinking about science, but he brings in the question of, okay, well, who's funding the science? Yeah. You know, man. So that, uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of, I kind of want to stop you there before the conversation gets too far on Matthew McConaughey's character, because the th- point that I just thought of as you were explaining that was that the point that I liked Matthew McConaughey's character the least was when he asked her the question, "Do you believe in God?" in front of those people, full, what, full, fully knowing what her answer was going to be, and then afterwards in the hotel room when he's crying, he's like. Well, I just couldn't send somebody who doesn't believe in God. To me, that kind of contradicts everything that Matthew McConaughey's character had been building towards for most of the movie. He, I felt like he was given off in the beginning of the movie as being a very realistic religious person in that he doesn't necessarily want to push it upon other people, but just wants them to question it themselves. And that's something that I totally agree with, is that like... Yeah people in the real world just kind of questioning what's really important to you at your core. I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody doing that in anything, but then there's the scene where he's literally like, well, because you don't believe in God, I just, I don't think you should meet these extraterrestrials. Like, how do you feel about that difference in his character? Because it almost does kind of feel like he's being a bit of a hypocrite when he says that, right? And you feel me on that or am I wrong? No, I think you're totally right. And I think that's kind of the extreme that we're supposed to sort of acknowledge because that is his character's extreme. Yeah. You know, the, his was, okay, I have to ask this question because, you know, that's what he believes in. Whereas other characters extremes are to take a bomb onto the place and make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. See, if you think about it, they both don't want it to Ooh, happen in a Nash, specific way. Nash, let's go. That was a fire point, bro. I didn't even think about connecting those two. And that's <laughs> such a good way to connect them. God, I love this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so see, we kind of observe that all of the people interacting with this teleporter thing, I forget what they call it. I just keep calling it a teleporter. Yeah. Um, because that's what it does. Call and, it the gyro. Um, the gyro. <laughs> call it a gyro. Yeah, because it's a little white gy- sauce. gyroscoping yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, there's that whole food. Anyway, either way. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> the whole point, like, that is a thing that you might get lost on. It's definitely the fact, like, how are people interacting 
towards this because we definitely see like the the mobs of people like at the uh radar whatever that was the moment i knew i really liked the movie because when they got back there and she had her like a dumbfounded face and all the people i was like yo that's exactly what would happen people would totally go to that spot just because that's what people do is conjugate and stuff like the moment that she yeah. came back that was the moment i knew i liked the movie yeah because we see all these different types of people and they all are taking different interpretations of what's going on around them. And that's kind of, I think a very driving force of this movie. It's like Matthew McConaughey in that love plot. I like his character. I don't like the love plot. I it felt clunky to me. It did. I agree most of those Hollywood ones do. I, I don't know why, they always feel like that. It's just, they f always feel so forced. Like it wouldn't actually happen or it's like, they seem disingenuous. So I don't even like regard it as being genuine. I feel that. Um, but it's like, we need his character around because he's kind of the rational religious. Yeah. Which was definitely a distinct choice in writing the story. Yeah. Because you didn't necessarily need to have that. And it didn't, it made this movie isn't one sided, like you said, to science is right. Yeah. It's like science does try to be right, but what's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah. At, at, <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, what's it doing for mankind? And I, I really can't believe that I didn't even think of the, the comparison between the extremist religion guy who blows himself up and Matthew McConaughey, who has a much more, um, I don't know, is like, is accepting the right word? Like, I feel like Matthew McConaughey's character is just trying to be accepting of several different beliefs, you know? Yeah. Like, he's, he's trying to not shut everything down, and maybe his character feels as though science shuts things down. And... I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't know how personal you and I want to get with like this this ideology, but I think I, I agree with that a lot that like life isn't about finding a distinct answer. It's not about pointing at something and say that's right. It's about what's finding what's important to you and using that in like a progressive way to just kind of live life with other people like. Um. When it comes to religion and science in, in, the, in this movie is what I, what I was trying to um, come to. When it comes to religion and science in this movie, I felt like it was done in that really distinct and unique way to, like, make me really just not hate either side. You know, like, the, the, the movie could yeah. have been told in a way to make me hate one side or the other. So I kind of just rambled a little bit there, but that's the point I was trying to make was that, like, this movie could have been told by through so many different ways, through so many different mediums, dude. I think that's one of my main cool points about this movie is that it was not what I was expecting. It was the way that it would actually happen, not a massive movie type plot. And I, I honestly like don't know where to stand <laughs> at the end of the day, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this movie definitely gives you something you don't expect either in the literal plot that happens or in sort of the philosophy surrounding it. They give you a lot of different viewpoints and some seem obvious, but it's like the rational ones that you get. They really make you question stuff in your own life. Like how much do you need this? How much do you actually believe in this? If this circumstance happened, would you believe it? Like that's really at the end of the day, what it's all about. So Luke, can we finally talk about the teleporter event? I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. That was the end of the movie. There were things I wanted to bring up, but yo, the point that Nash told to me when we finished the movie that I did not even consider for a second 
was that, dude, what if it actually didn't happen and it was all made up in her head? Because the question I want to talk to you about the ending from the teleporter to the very end of the movie was, if is the stuff of when she finally gets to the planet cheesy? Having her dead father... Yeah from the beginning of the movie, come and give her the little speech about life and existence and whatnot. At the end of the movie, was that cheesy or was it well thought brilliant. out and structured <laughs> and brilliant? Nash thinks it's brilliant. And once he brought up that point to me, you know, I do think it's, it's, it's pretty nuanced, but how do you kind of feel about my initial response? How do you feel about my initial response of questioning if it was cheesy or not? No, I think that's totally, um, uh, that's totally a viable option. Uh, definitely aesthetically, because is it, you can tell it's that you know that green screen, that early green screen effect, right? Yeah, you can tell that's what's what it's going at. And so everything has like this kind of weird soft edge to it, you know, like in the editing. I don't know why they did that or how they did that with so much of the stuff back then, but it's like very present. So it does seem kind of like, all right, we all know this is fake. What's going on right now? Yeah. And then it does seem pretty hammy that literally her dad shows up. But the- and and that she was trying to talk to heaven the whole time. Like she was she was using the radio to talk to heaven, which is just incredibly depressing and and sad, but just to kind of see it at the end of the movie, my initial reaction was like, of course her dad walks over the horizon, you know? Yeah, it seems kind of hammy, but what really got me I think because those definitely went through my head while I watched it. I was like, wow, this kind of looks like something that you'd see on a binder from the early 90s. <laughs> I, I think one of those decorated ones. Anyway, you, you know, or, or like yeah. the side of the side of I a van yeah, yeah, like yeah. with spray paint. Um, But what got me to think not that that wasn't the case um, was what she says, like before she actually goes through um, the before she's literally dropped is like, she's trying to describe what's going on. And it's like, I can't describe it. Oh my God, dude. It's, it's undescribable. So that's what got me thinking about that. Jesus. And that's really why I feel like didn't even consider that literally didn't even consider that. the, The whole point of that scene is to give you, I think enough doubt to, you don't know if it, if it actually happened, or maybe it's just a result of a concussion she got from the machine falling. How do you describe the un- undescribable to people who don't even want to hear it, bro? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, dude, I literally did not even consider that for a second, and that feels like we just had this whole podcast about science and faith, and I feel like we could have done the whole podcast again just on that idea of describing the undescribable because that embodies the idea so much of just our eyes interpreting something and not being able to get it out of our mouths. And, like, you and I are podcasters, so we love not shutting up. But for a lot of people, <laughs> just in their daily lives, I feel like it can be hard to describe the way that they feel about something, you know? Yeah. And it's it really is like if you actually sit down and can ask yourself how well can you describe something, typically we're pretty bad at it as yeah. human beings. Our memories are pretty flawed. We're pretty awful at it. But literally everything she saw in that scene was something that sounds unbelievable yeah. or indescribable. Because, of course, she saw her dad. Um, 
so clearly, you know, that that brings doubt because we don't have a different image of like what aliens look like. We just have her dad as an image. So clearly it sounds sort of personal to you. So your own memories would probably be the easiest place for that to come from. Yeah, but picking her dead father was a bad move, guys. Bad move. Really, really, really should have thought that one out. It's a real thing to do. Yeah, no, big facts, though. Yo, how'd you feel about the part before she gets to that when the the thing stops for a second and she looks at that nebula and her face slowly gets younger and then older again? I thought that scene was really cool. What? How do you, how, how do you want to relate that to what you're talking about in describing the undescribable? That was really crazy. I love seeing that because it took me a minute. I was like, wait, what? Whoa, whoa. That was, oh man, I love that. (laughs) Like scientifically, what's even happening is the space-time continuum stuck on her time going in an infinite loop between freaking... (laughs) Yeah, right, all all the time. Because again, there's a question of time because it happens instantaneously if it happened that she was there and then she's back. I really thought just effect wise that was probably the coolest effect one of the coolest effects i've ever seen um but i really don't i really don't know what to make of it because i think it's you know if you believe it then of course time's gonna get funky yeah because it had to happen so quick so time seems to time needs evidence that it can be manipulated and i guess that's sort of the purpose of that scene it shows that time is being manipulated I totally understand that. Yo, I'm a, I'm a take this conversation completely completely in, in the in the left direction right now. Like we were we like we were going right and I'm about I'm about to turn left. Relate this movie to Interstellar, dude. Do it right now. Come on, do it. To Interstellar. Also I also have Matt Matthew McConaughey in it and it also kind of talks about space travel and the effect that it has on people and interstellar is a lot more i haven't seen that movie for a minute so and i did just bring that up on the spot we we didn't plan about no, talking about fine. interstellar but that's one of my favorite movies so you're perfectly all right to do it so i guess the important thing spoiler alert for interstellar the whole thing about interstellar is that essentially love is a tangible thing <laughs> it's like an actual driving force it's a scientific thing it actually exists as sort of a real thing it's not just an emotional reaction that people have it's an actual driving force for how interconnected things are in the universe um this one kind of has that but I'd say the way they play with time is much more the aliens are so absolutely dominant that it doesn't matter. Whereas in Interstellar, it kind of turns out that we are the aliens. Mm. Yeah, great point. Sorry, I was just I was just um, thinking about that movie as a whole. That movie definitely focuses more on the spectacle of it though would you agree the spectacle of like space travel yeah i think yeah, it definitely and, does and the and the the questions involved yeah it's there. like in, in interstellar you think you're going to get that question that alien question but you really don't whereas in this one you don't you almost never see well i don't know how to 
Well, bro, I got. I think I. I have. I have a quote that might kind of help you. What I. One of my favorite quotes of the entire movie is when David Morse, her dad, is talking to her, and she asks if they built the interdimensional wormholes. The dude says, "No, those were here when we got here. Whoever built them is long gone." And then he also says that this is the way it's been done for billions of years. So this is a society, a civilization that's been around for billions of years and they don't even know who the people were before them like that adds so much (laughs) lore to the idea that like everything is passed down from a different person like relating it back to interstellar like having a literal embodiment of her father saying this kind of stuff and i feel like interstellar with my rough memory of it was a lot more up for interpretation in the way that like space is utilized you 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 feel me did that kind of help you get your thought out at all yeah it's kind of like interstellar really wanted to describe like the physics of the world around it whereas this movie wanted to dive into the um philosophy of it yeah and it's interesting philosophy for sure you know yeah and you definitely get different philosophy in interstellar and all that but this movie is really focused on the like those major questions that you need to ask yourself um, in the event that I guess we do come in contact. Whoa, whoa, roll credits with um, aliens and interstellar is more of like how willing, how far are you willing to go for your species? I guess. And for your family and stuff with like his daughter and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I wanted to bring it up a because I think it's related to Contact. B it has Matthew McConaughey, and C I yeah. knew it was one of your favorite movies, so I figured you had something good to say about it. But again, bring it bring it back to the point that like alien movies, stuff in space, we have no idea what any of it is. So the possibilities are endless in the way you want to tell your story, and just. I think Contact just tells a really amazing story. And like I said, when it comes to the faith and science stuff, in the beginning of the movie, it was like super obvious. And um, when, when whenever I watch these movies with you and I hear a line of dialogue that is like a clear piece of a motive, motif or theme that they're trying to get across, I usually make a joke and click it. And I'm like, I wonder if that was something that's going to be important later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did that in the first scenes with this movie, kind of assuming that it was going to be a little bit too straightforward for my taste to like it. But as the movie continues and the characters are put in a position to just completely disavow what they've believed in for the entire movie, specifically Jodie Foster at the end, but there's a couple other moments too throughout, like that's some screenwriting school right there, people. That's some screenwriting a class material. If you, if you teach a screenwriting class, <laughs> uh, print out contact. Cause in my opinion, it was done almost flawlessly and like low key. I think last night it became one of my favorite movies, dude. Like I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed the nuance and the way the plot unfolded and how much it surprised me. And even though the ending was incredible, but came across as cheesy on that first viewing. Once you really look past the fact that it's her dead father, like, there's a ton there, bro. Was there anything else you really wanted to exemplify about the ending? Because I know you were so excited to talk about it. No, I, I think you hit it right on the head. It it really brings up so much for you to ask yourself. Um, it's a great movie. It doesn't want to give you a direct answer because it's really not entirely about that answer. It's about you being able to ask yourself those questions because we see a lot of people 
in the movie, um, they aren't able to ask those questions. It's typically the, the extremely religious or the ones that are governed by politics. So and the ones governed by politics are often pretending like they're governed by religion. So it's the few characters that we see that are actually able to sort of bring up those questions to each other and to themselves that really sort of bring home the importance of the whole thing, which is that you just have the ability to ask and answer those questions that you can accept the question itself. Well, well said, dude. Well said. I think I want to leave it off as just saying this is not your average alien movie, not your average ET experience. And I think, I think a lot of people could pull a lot of good ideas from this movie. Definitely. Definitely. And a lot of people have this movie is, I guess we'll get to that in a second. So I think what we're going to do now is just conclude it. Uh, let's start off with the genre. I think it's a pretty easy one for this movie. I'd just call it a pure sci-fi, right? Yeah. Pure sci-fi. If you wanted to get really specific, you could call it like a, a contact movie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. What do you suggest it to your friends? Mm hmm. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Your family, yeah, yeah. I think I would too. No dogs or animals die in the making of this movie. No. Um, is it a cult classic? No, I think it was always pretty uh, well received. Yeah. Um, cinephile. Why would a cinephile watch this? Um, honestly, whew, that's a tough one. I guess. I guess it really does help setting up your story, like bringing in all the arcs sort of together so they all make sense and seem kind of believable. And I guess it offers a pretty unique perspective. Yeah, and I mean, just as as far as alien movies go, this one is unique enough for the movie lover to definitely check out. Yeah, definitely. Um, so who's making this? Who's making this music? You know who's making this music? Well, bro, obviously we got to get the father of Zen because you know he can see throughout time and space himself. So I, I really want to get his perspective on the space beat. You know, Jesus. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> with that being said, thank you, Father of Zen, and please be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Instagram to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and help us determine the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and remember your donations keep my blue light on. See you next week as we yell about... What are we yelled about? Uh, we didn't prep because we're idiots. So surprise! Yeah, surprise. Go vote. Oh, um, yo, if they're so smart, why don't they just speak English? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is... <laughs> really, really, though, that is what they got. That's what they would say. <laughs>